Good morning. Are we well? Did you have a good week? Well, it's another opportunity for us to gather this morning. And um, indeed, the reminders that have come through from the book of Ephesians, I mean, could not have come at any better time. It's so refreshing to know that we are now members of, you know, um, or rather we are beneficiaries, so to speak, of the very promises that were made to, to the Jews and all that because of what Christ did on the cross. And so um, I pray that even as we continue with our pilgrim journey that we will continue to be encouraged that Christ has done that work on the cross for us, but that even more that he is inviting us that we may truly experience the very promises that he made that we find um, in Genesis 22:17, that because we are spiritual descendants of Abraham, that we can hope for that day to come when we shall rule and reign with Christ in his coming kingdom. Please receive greetings from Pastor. Um, he sent me a message this morning, and so I hope you receive his greetings. Do you? Please also receive greetings from Eldon Jeroge. He made a call this morning and asked me to convey his greetings. Do you receive them? I'd like us to go, go to Matthew 17 and read this scripture that we have read every so often, speaking of the transfiguration of Jesus. And I read this to us just by way of reminder where our focus should be. You know, friends, it's possible for us to gather and say, you know, we were told by so-and-so, but it is not what we were told by so-and-so that will count on that day. It is what he has told us. And so during the transfiguration of Jesus, we know that while Peter was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And I read this to just encourage us time and again that it is Christ we are to hear. Um, I think the reality of the matter is that Christ will use vessels like you and I to speak, but ultimately that it is him that we are to listen. And also John chapter number two, speaking of this first miracle that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee when he changed water to wine, when they had ran out of water in verse 3 of John 2, we know the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do. And it is because it is our works that are going to be put to the test on that day. And therefore, even as we hear him, it is with the intention of doing um, I like what Pastor said during the teaching last Sunday that every time we study God's word, he will be confronting matters in our lives. I don't know what God will be confronting this morning, but I can rest, I can encourage us to rest assured that there are things that God will be confronting this morning. And then we shall read an example of one who, in a manner of speaking, um, did exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 17, 5 and John 2. And this is Ruth. In Ruth chapter number 3, we know that Naomi is a type of Israel. 
and more specifically, a type of that which has come to us through the nation of Israel, and that is the scriptures. And after Naomi speaks to Ruth, in verse 5 of Ruth chapter number 3, this was the response that came through Ruth, and she said to her, All that you say to me, I will do. And in verse 6, So she went down to the threshing floor, and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. I think the key point for us is that not only she, did she say that she will do, but verse 6 reminds us that she did exactly what she was told. And I hope that we can find encouragement that if we do what the Lord has told us, then the same thing that came through to Ruth can be our experience when we stand before the Lord. And why is it important for us to do what he has said? Because in John 13, 17, Jesus speaking to his disciples and to us this morning tells them, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So I hope we encourage this morning that we are to do. In fact, our journey towards the reception of the salvation of our soul will come as a result of the things that we do, not what we say. And so let us look at part number eight of this lesson. As I told you before, I had no imagination that we would come this far. But as you continue studying, then God continues to bring more things. And I hope that this morning, part eight will equally be an encouragement to us. And so let us read the head scripture in Matthew 16, verse 24 to 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone, literally if anyone of you desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? In these last seven parts, we have been looking at this topic or heading, loss <coughs> for profit. And as that first song would remind us, you know, those words of Philippians 3 verse 1, I think to around 12 thereabout, that is Paul acknowledging that for him to gain Christ, there had to be loss along the way. And I wonder this morning, how much loss have we done or experienced since we began embracing the word of the kingdom? Better still, when we began this series, I don't know how many things you have lost. I don't know how many people you have lost along the way. But I want to just affirm to us this morning that gaining Christ, gaining that kingdom will require of us to lose and you know, losing is not a very sweet thing. It's a painful reality. So last time we looked at the blind leaders and the leaven of the Pharisees. We have, since this series began, learned the following. That coming after Jesus, as we have read in Matthew 16, 24, is an individual choice and an individual responsibility that we make on a daily basis. And this we do by denying ourselves, taking up the cross, and following him. 
and to take up the cross and to present our bodies a living sacrifice, as we know from Romans 12 verse 1, are two ways of saying the same thing. That which is still in bondage to sin, that is the unredeemed soul, the self-life, is to be kept continually in a state of dying so as to remain in subjection under our fully redeemed spirit as we see in the picture of baptism. That we go through the waters of baptism once, but for the rest of our lives we are to place the man of the flesh under the waters. To deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow the Lord is the same action as losing our soul, our life. That is, laying down our self-life for his sake. And we have only two options, dear friends. We either choose to lose now and profit then, or we choose to profit now and lose then. And I hope we don't need to be smart to know which of these two options is the best one. Last Sunday, we did examine the role that was played by the religious leaders of Israel as far as the perception of Christ was as held by the Jews. Why did we go here? Because we had seen sin from verse 24 that when Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me to follow him, then we cannot follow one that we have a negative attitude towards. And we had read in Matthew 16, 15, that conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. He tells them, who do men say that I am? And the men contextually would be the Jews. And you remember the responses that came through. But then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Dear friends, it will be difficult for us to follow, to take up the cross and to deny ourselves if our attitude, if our perception of Christ is a negative one. And therefore we went back to just trace the birth of Jesus. And we saw that the birth of Jesus came with different responses. And we went back further to look at the birth of Jesus, literally speaking. And we did see that there was no room for Mary and Joseph during the birth of Christ. And not only was that the case during his birth, but later on Jesus speaks in Luke 9.58. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And you know, when the wise men came to Jerusalem asking where the king of the Jews was, Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And he gathered the religious leaders of Israel to establish where the Christ was to be born. And we did see that Herod made a connection between the king of the Jews and Christ. So to speak, they must have known that there was coming to be born one who is the Christ. And the religious leaders of Israel did not turn anywhere else to find an answer. They went to the Old Testament scriptures. And we also did see that when the angel appeared to the shepherds, tending their flock by night, they made an announcement, an announcement of the birth of a savior, Christ, the Lord. And therefore, looking at these two accounts in Matthew and Luke, there is something that is very distinct, that the wise men made a reference to the king of the Jews, which Herod rightly associated with the Christ, and as well as when the angels appeared to these shepherds, they made an announcement of the Christ, 
And this is the same Christ that the Jews said, he is a prophet, he is Jeremiah, he is Elijah. But we know that it is Peter who said rightly that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And during the first advent of Jesus, he was sent with a specific message and to a very specific people, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And the message was repent, for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. And that is just but to tell us that the birth of Christ has had everything to do with the arrival, so to speak, of the kingdom of the heavens. Jesus sent his disciples to the same people with the same message, repent for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. And therefore, in answering the question whether and why Christ had nowhere to lay his head, we did say that it is a message pertaining to the kingdom of the heavens and his identity as the Christ that did not find acceptance among the Jews. God, in his wisdom, provided the Jews with religious leaders to teach them matters to do with the available body of scriptures at the time, and that is the Old Testament scriptures. Unfortunately, these religious leaders abdicated their responsibility. No wonder Jesus would describe the Jews like sheep having no shepherd. Jesus described the Pharisees as blind leaders. Not only were they blind, but they also leading the blind. Both the Pharisees and the Jews were blind. And to this extent, we can say that the religious leaders of Israel at the time were blind. And being blind, we saw the Pharisees opposing Jesus by attributing his power to that of the demons. They sought to destroy Christ and again attributed his power to the rule of the demons. And this action, as we have come to learn, had far-reaching consequences for Israel as a nation. The Pharisees and the Sadducees asked Jesus for a sign. But you know, Jesus knew their intentions and he did not give them any. If anything, he told them that there would be no sign given apart of that. Is it of um, reading Matthew 16, verse number 4? Permit me to read that this morning. Matthew 16 and verse number 4. And this is what Jesus says, that a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. No sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And you know, this being the religious leaders, they must have known something about Jonah. But we know even then that they were still blind. And therefore we see Jesus warning his disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he was noting, not talking about bread as initially thought by the disciples. It was a warning about the doctrine, about the teaching that was being made by the religious leaders of Israel. And Jesus expressly calls this doctrine hypocrisy in Luke's account because the religious leaders of Israel knew the right thing to teach, but instead they chose to teach it as being the wrong thing. It is because they knew who Jesus was. Leaven is only used in scripture to show that which is corrupt. And we know that from Exodus 12 verse 15. And we did conclude by saying that what the Pharisees and the Sadducees taught was corrupt. 
these religious leaders of Israel gave preeminence to their traditions and by, by so doing they made the word of God of no effect and it is based on this teaching that the religious leaders influenced the perception of Christ that was held by the Jews but I doubt whether the Jews can really use this as an excuse I doubt whether when we stand before the Lord, any one of us can stand and say, you know, it's because of what you were taught. That will not hold any water. And so, let us look at what this, regarding this rejection by the religious leaders of Israel, seen by this perception held by the Jews, would mean for us today. And you know, we have been reminded that the Jews, has given, they are given to us as an example, as a type so that we learn from them. I don't think that the learning we are to do is by emulating the rejection that they did, is it? We are not to emulate the same negative attitude, so to speak, or perception that they had. We are to have a different one. So let's look at the reoffer of the kingdom to the same Jews. Having been taken from the Jews, the kingdom of the heavens would now be given to a nation bearing fruits of it. And that is what our brother Johnson read from Ephesians 2 verse 14. The nation is the one new man in Christ and that is the church. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 21 verse 43. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God, literally the kingdom of the heavens, will be taken from you and, be, and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. However, before the offer could be made to the church, you know, the Jews who are to come to that place of completely being set aside, as we will see in Acts 28, verse 28. And it is this that would bring the parable that Jesus speaks about in Luke 13 into fulfillment. He also spoke this parable in Luke 13, beginning verse 6. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of, the of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. And we find a record of the reoffer in the book of Acts. And this was done this time around by the church. And we shall read portions of Acts chapter number 2, verse 38 to 39. Then Peter said to them, and these are Jews, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call jumping to verse 41 and 42 then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 
and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers, and skipping to verse 46 to 47, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. I hope we did take the particular reference in verse um, 41 that Luke, when recording this, tells us that about 3,000 souls were added to them. It is because by this time we know that Jews were eternally saved people, but not all of them had come to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so, you know, in the past we did use this scripture every time we went for evangelism, and we would be called upon to give an account of souls that were added but you can see how wrong we were at the time. And just like we did see during the offer of the kingdom, there was opposition from the religious leaders. The same was to be witnessed during the re-offer. The religious leaders of Israel opposed the message, as well as those who were called upon to proclaim the message, the word of the kingdom. And this was done by the church this time around. We can see this in Acts chapter number 4, verse 1 and 2. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Yet despite this persecution in the hands of the religious leaders, the apostles continued with their teaching. Let's read Acts 5, verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And skipping to verse 17, following. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison and skipping to verse 27 and when they had brought them they set them before the council and the high priest asked them saying did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name and look you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us and in verse 40 and they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. But in verse 42, and daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. This was a message that the apostles taught, but also was fought against by the religious leaders of Israel. You know, if you look at the life of Jesus, it was in the hands of the Jews that, you know, he was betrayed. The Romans had no problem with Jesus. And if you look at the apostles, the Romans at the time had no problem with the apostles. 
Sadly, it is the religious leaders that had a problem with the apostles, with the church, and it is all because of the teaching that they made. They had a problem of this teaching that Jesus is a Christ. If anything, in verse 28, they seem to be blaming the apostles for filling Jerusalem with what they called your doctrine. You know, they're like pointing a finger to the apostles and saying, you intend to bring this man's blood on us. And if you think about the example of Jesus and the apostles, then you might want to consider in whose hands are we going to face opposition the most. The non-believers have no problem with us, dear friends. But it will come from those of the body of Christ and especially those who have not embraced the word of the kingdom. The climax and the turnaround of the persecution of the church was done by none other than Saul. But even then, the church was undeterred. In Acts chapter number 8, verse 1, now Saul was consenting to his death, speaking of Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And in verse 4 and 5, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. I hope you can see the emphasis of the teaching and the preaching. It was Christ. And this has everything to do with the word of the kingdom. I hope that we can borrow a leaf from these members of this first church that when persecution happened and they were scattered, they did not keep quiet. They did not go silent. Would this be said of us today if God were to allow such persecution to happen? Would we keep quiet? Would we be tempted to teach something else other than the word of the kingdom? I hope that if we are tempted that we shall overcome that very same temptation. But thankfully, after Saul had an encounter with the Lord, he was transformed. Reading Acts chapter number 9, verse 18 to 20, immediately, this is after um, Saul had been blind for three days, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received the food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. What a joy to see that in one side in Acts chapter number 8, Saul was against the church. But when he had this encounter in Acts chapter number 9, immediately he did not preach anything else. He almost preached the same message that we see uh, Philip in Acts 8 verse 5, preaching in Samaria. And I'm sure, dear friends, in a manner of speaking, this would be our experience as well. I don't know what were your first reactions when you heard the word of the kingdom. I don't know whether you thought it was a very strange doctrine, like some of us did. I don't know whether you received it 
with so much ease when you first heard it. But that was not my experience. You know, as MG would have told us at the time, she understood this to be nothing else but a cult. And I agreed with her at the time. But thankfully, because of what God has done and continue to do in our lives, this is the only message that we study. I want to believe. And that this is the only message that we shall also teach others. Sooner rather than later, the same persecution that Saul meted out against the church also was meted out against him. Guess by who? At the hands of the Jews. Acts chapter number 9, verse 22 to 23. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. I hope that would just affirm to us that if there is a message that is going to be fought at against by everyone, it has to be the message concerning Christ and his coming kingdom. But did you know that Paul was also a Pharisee? I hope that we do, because in Acts 23 verse 6 when Paul is speaking, but when Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And if you read Philippians 3 verse 5, Paul did acknowledge that he was a Pharisee, so to speak, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And so you can see how much of an objection the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, had, even as we have seen with respect to the first church. But you see, there is hope. If Paul, being a Pharisee, had this experience, then none of the Pharisees really could claim to be ignorant. Unfortunately, although the re-offer was made to the Jews, as we know, they equally rejected it. Three times in the book of Acts, we see this rejection. And I hope we do know that three is not an arbitrary number. It is a number of divine perfection. And so in a manner of speaking, the Jews entirely rejected not only the offer, but also the re-offer of the kingdom that is now on offer to us. In Acts 13 verse 46, Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting, literally age-lasting life, Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. And in Acts 18 verse 6, But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And lastly, in Acts 28, 28, Therefore let it be known to you, speaking to the Jews, that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And I believe that our gathering here this morning is proof that this salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and we have heard it. Then the question would be, what spiritual truths 
can we glean for ourselves from this? I hope this did not sound monotonous to us or more or less theory. Let us look at the spiritual truths that we can glean for us today by asking the question, is there room in the church? Owing to the rejection by Israel of both the offer and the re-offer of the kingdom, Israel has a nation was set aside for two days, 2,000 years. And during this time, God is dealing not with Israel this time around, but is dealing with a new nation, the church whose makeup is largely Gentile. Reading Acts 15 verse 14, Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out for them, rather to take out of them a people for his name. We did see that Israel committed that sin, the blasphemy, against the Holy Spirit. And Christ declared that they will not be forgiven with regard to the kingdom of the heavens in this present age that we are in, or in the kingdom age that is yet to come. And as a result, we see that there was a shift in the ministry that Christ did. And we shall turn to Matthew 13 and read that first verse. On the same day, the same day that the nation of Israel committed this sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, on that same day, Jesus went out of the house, and this has to be the house of Israel, and he sat by the sea. You know, if we do not understand the word of the kingdom, this would appear to be something very arbitrary. But there is something symbolic about this verse. Because the sea is symbolically used in scripture for two things. For the place of the dead and also the Gentile nations. And it depends on the context for us to know what is being referenced here. Let's take an example of Jonah, chapter number 1 verse 4 and 15. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. And in verse 15, so they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. If you are like me, Jonah and the book of Jonah entirely would have meant something different. But with the understanding of the word of the kingdom, as we see the tempest that was mighty on the sea, and as we see Jonah being thrown into the sea, and thereby the sea calming from its raging, we have come to understand that this is a picture of the nation of Israel. That that which Israel, as is presently formed in the Middle East, will not have peace, or rather the world will not have peace until the nation of Israel has been, like during, will be seen during, I think, the tribulation, will be sent away from where they are presently occupying. That the conflict that we find in the Middle East, if you were to look at it from the scriptures, was initiated by no other but God himself. And this is a matter that God himself is going to resolve when that time comes. And therefore, seeing Jonah being thrown into the sea and the sea ceasing from its raging would only speak of the peace that would come after the nation of Israel because of the tribulation 
has been, in a manner of speaking, sent away from that nation that they have occupied for the longest while. This is one picture of the usage of the word sea, to speak of the Gentile nations. And so even as we read that last part, and the sea ceased from its raging, it is a picture of the Gentile nations ceasing from their raging. And so as we see Jesus on that same day going out of the house of the nation of Israel and sitting by the sea, this is Christ doing ministry, so to speak, among the Gentiles. And we know that from this Matthew 13, Jesus began to use parables in his teaching. And he began with that parable of the sower, reading Matthew 13, verse 3, following. I hope we remember that this is um, a parable that focuses on the church. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And we see four different grounds here. Some seed fell by the wayside. They bore no fruit. Some seed fell on stony places. They bore no fruit. Some seed fell among thorns. They bore no fruit. Some seed fell on good ground. They bore fruit. Of these four grounds, only one yielded a crop, literally speaking, a fruit. And that is the last part that fell on good ground. But in this focus today, rather in this lesson, let us focus on the three that did not yield a crop. Let's look at the explanation that Jesus gives in Matthew 13, beginning verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word, literally, of the kingdom, and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the same word of the kingdom, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among thorns is he who hears the word of the kingdom and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. I hope this is enough of a leakage of what pastor is currently teaching about sustained fruitfulness. All these three types are believers. They are Christians, all of whom hear the word of the kingdom. Number one, the wayside Christian hears the word of the kingdom. 
but does not understand it. And thereby the wicked one snatches it. As a result, there is no fruit. We can have a reference in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 to 4. The stony place Christian hears the word of the kingdom, but since he or she has no root in himself, he or she only endures for a while. But when tribulation arises, because of this same word of the kingdom, this Christian stumbles. And to stumble in Greek means to entrap, to trip up, entice to sin, apostasy, or displeasure, make to offend. This means that this Christian, when he faces tribulation because of the word of the kingdom, they will stand away from this truth. And as a result, there is no fruit. The thorn Christian hears the word of the kingdom. But unfortunately, the enticements of this world choke the word. And as a result, there is no fruit. If you look at Luke's account of this same description of this Christian, this is how he renders it in Luke 8.14. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard the word of the kingdom, they go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. And as we learned recently, the group that a believer belongs to is a choice that is determined by his or her attitude or response to the word of the kingdom. And since these believers bear no fruit worthy of entering the kingdom, you know it is only exclusion from the coming kingdom that awaits them. Reading this account in Matthew 22, verse number 13. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the extent that these three groups of believers bear no fruit, my brothers and my sisters, we may safely conclude that the word of the kingdom has no room in their lives. In a manner of speaking, Christ has no room, just like it was with the nation of Israel. I don't know whether we find ourselves among these three groups of believers who bear no fruit and by extension have no room for Christ. But that even if that were to be the case, you know, we have a very good opportunity this morning that we can move to become the good ground Christians who bear fruit and by extension have room for Christ. But beyond the parable of the sower, we also know that there was an advanced attack by Satan, as we will see shortly. Let's look at leaven, hidden three measures of meal. Since these three groups of believers bear no fruit, I submit to us that Satan has no focus on them. Why would Satan expend his energy on those who are not bearing fruit? There is no point because they do not form any threat against him. But I want to submit to us that Satan focuses his attention on only one group of believers, the good soul, the good ground Christian. And we will look at this maybe in the coming lesson, God willing. 
How does Satan focus his attention on this group? Number one, by introducing tares. And you can read that in your own time in Matthew 13, 24 to 30, and the explanation that is given in verse 36 to 43. When the good soil Christian continues to bear fruit, despite the introduction of the tares, Satan introduces something else, unnatural growth in the church, as we see in the parable of the mustard seed in Matthew 13, 31 to 32. And you know it doesn't stop there. When the good soil Christian continues to bear fruit, despite the introduction of the tares, despite the attempts by Satan to cause an unnatural growth in the church, then Satan goes for the kill by introducing leaven that we saw last time to be a picture of that which is corrupt. And we shall read the parable of the leaven in Matthew 13 verse 33. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of the heavens is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. And three is used in scripture to show divine perfection. It finds its most perfect expression in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And by using the word meal, it is a reference to the ground grain that was used to make bread as we would find in Genesis 18, verse 6. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. It is also the meal, the ground grain, that was used to make the showbread for the tabernacle of Moses and the temple. The showbread, which in itself provides a picture of none other but the Lord Jesus Christ, who spoke in, in John 6.35, saying, I am the bread of life. And within the context of our parables, the meal would be a picture of the word of God. Because we know in John 1.14, this same bread of life we know, it became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us contextually. This is the word of the kingdom that we read in Matthew 13, verse 19, part A, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom. Therefore, three measures of meal would represent the divinely perfect word of God in relation to the proclamation and offer of the kingdom of the heavens, in which we have read, a woman hides leaven with the result that the three measures of meal become completely leavened. You know, this woman hid. I think by hiding, you can begin to feel or to, you know, get that impression that there is something suspicious about this introduction. And leaven, as we said when we began, is always used in scripture to show that which is corrupt. And as such, we can say that the, this leaven being introduced to the three measures of meal is part of Satan's attack by introducing a counterfeit message which has a goal and that goal is to corrupt the word of the kingdom. And I am sure that by our very own personal experiences, this corruption has worked for the last almost 2,000 years. The woman 
representing eternally redeemed Christians, the tares, more specifically false teachers, the apostates, introduced corruption into the divinely perfect word of the kingdom at the beginning of this dispensation, causing the proclamation and offer of the kingdom of the heavens to become deteriorated. And as we read from Matthew 13, 33, it ends by saying, till it was all leavened. Satan's schemes in corrupting the word of the kingdom have been effective in this present dispensation. And we have just read that this word of the kingdom will be so deteriorated that by the end of this dispensation, the whole will be corrupted, will be leavened. And you know, Paul was aware of this reality when he spoke to the Ephesian elders at Miletus in Acts 20, verse 20 to 30, when he tells them, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. And Paul continued to affirm this, even to Timothy, his son in the faith, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 to 3. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And we find an encouragement that is given by Paul to Timothy in verse 16 when he tells him, and maybe to us as well, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. There is an encouragement for us to continue in this doctrine, the word of the kingdom. And we find even greater emphasis by Paul in 2 Timothy verse 2 of chapter number 4 when he tells Timothy, and maybe us even this morning, preach the word. If you are to read one of Allen's books, I think there is a quote. He says that the challenge that is in the body of Christ today is because those who have been entrusted with this, with the teaching, have gone against this instruction in 2 Timothy 4 verse 2. Because the instruction was only one, to preach the word, not stories. But you know that is what abounds, unfortunately, in the body of Christ today. We are to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. And you know, scripture has to be fulfilled. 
the truth of the matter is that because the Spirit has made this declaration, then some will have to depart from the faith. I pray that we will not be among those who depart from the faith. The reality of the matter is that there will be some who will not endure sound doctrine, but because of their own desires, they will heap up for themselves teachers. I hope that we will not be among those who do so, because if we were to choose to do so, then you can only expect that our ears will be turned away from the truth. Where are we going all this way? To just answer the question, is there room in the church today? The history of the church we can find in only two places in scripture. Matthew 13 and Revelation chapter 2 and 3. But you know as I grew up as a Christian, there were so many books that I read that gave the history of the church. But you know, dear friends, that is man's idea about the church. And man's idea and thoughts have no moment when we stand before God. If we want to find the true history of the church, we are to go to only one place, and that is the scriptures. And so at the end of the present dispensation, the church will largely be Laodicean, the seventh church that Christ speaks about in Revelation chapter number 3 and we shall pick verse number 14 and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things says the Amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of God this church which is the church of today is largely Laodicean as we have said and as a result, the church is lukewarm. Not lukewarm in any general sense, but with respect to the word of the kingdom. In verse 15, Jesus continuing saying, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And what do we know about being lukewarm? Those are the correct temperatures for leaven to thrive in. Leaven doesn't thrive in hot or cold water. Literally speaking, yeast does not work well in hot or cold water. But put it in lukewarm water, it will thrive. And I hope you can begin to see the parable of the leaven coming to fruition, so to speak, with respect to how the church of Jesus Christ will end up like. This church has a contrary opinion of herself. The Lord continues in verse 17 of Revelation chapter number 3, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I hope that we can come to the conclusion that the church that is Laodicean that we find in our modern day is a church that is deceived because this church says, I am this. But Jesus says, you do not know that you are not like that, but you are this way. And isn't the church of today rich?
Is it not rich? Is it not wealthy? Going by the recent news, I think three or so weeks ago, you must have read um, in the local press just how much money the body of Christ has. And in this we can see what Jesus says is true today. But I'm sure that Jesus would say the same thing to the church today. That is Laodicea. You do not know that you are wretched. You are miserable. You are poor. You are blind. And you are naked. But you know God is a merciful God. If you read verse 18 and 19, Christ provides a remedy. And when you read about what the church is saying, it almost inclines with what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of the heavens. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You know, I believe it takes a lot of humility for us to see lawlessness in these things that the church is saying. Because when you think about prophesying in the name of Jesus, casting out demons in the name of Jesus, doing many wonders in the name of Jesus as you would see in our local television, it is highly unlikely that you would see lawlessness in these things. Or it is very unlikely that I would see lawlessness. But you see Jesus says all these things good as they may appear, it is lawlessness because he had said, it is only him who does the will of his Father in heaven who will enter the kingdom of the heavens. And as a result of being lukewarm to the word of the kingdom and having a different priority, the church is so deceived that she says, I have need of nothing. And is it any wonder, dear friends, that we find Jesus Christ at the door knocking? Do you knock a door when you're inside or outside? Outside, right? And in Revelation 3.20, a scripture that I know all of us know, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me that as a result of being rich, being wealthy, having need of nothing, Christ has no place in the church today. If you read the Amplified Version, it has a, this better uh, rendering. Behold, I stand at the door of the church and continually knock. And he has been doing this for the last 2,000 years. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And to the extent that Christ is outside, we can safely conclude 
that the church has no room for him. And this is demonstrated in her rejection of the word of the kingdom. And it is no wonder that just like the Jews did during the first advent of Jesus, maybe if we were to do a random check, the church would say different things concerning Christ. Would say different things concerning the very scriptures that we have today. But there is hope. All is not lost. Jesus says that if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, that I will come in and dine with him. We can open the door and Christ will come in and he will dine with us. And in Hebrews 3 verse 14 to 15, For we have become partakers of Christ, but this is conditional. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. You know friends, there is nothing as difficult as doing something for a prolonged period of time. The challenge that we have is to continue. We can begin and maybe we have begun well. But Jesus is saying that we have become partakers of him if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the very end. While it is, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And by bringing this lesson to a close, I invite us to consider that making room for Christ is an invitation to lose every other biblical teaching that we may have been socialized in that is contrary to the word of the kingdom, regardless of who teaches it. And choosing to narrow ourselves to the word of the kingdom only. And this must be followed or accompanied by our willingness to organize our lives in agreement with what God has said. Let me repeat that last phrase. That making room for Christ is an invitation to lose everything, every other biblical teaching that we may have been socialized in that is contrary to the word of the kingdom, regardless of who teaches it, and choosing instead to narrow ourselves to the word of the kingdom only. I think one of the greatest tragedies that we can come to as brethren who have embraced the word of the kingdom is choosing to mix this truth with another truth. And I wonder, dear friends, if God was to evaluate our lives this morning, do you listen to the word of the kingdom only? Or do you also listen to that which is leavened? Do I listen to the word of the kingdom only? Or do I also listen to that which is leavened? When you read Christian books, are you reading books? Am I reading books that are narrowed to the word of the kingdom only? And I hope that we know that these books are available in plenty. Growing up, reading Christian books was a great joy for me. And you know, I had a library of books. But by the grace of God, you know, a time had to come when I had to dispose those books. In fact, I was tempted to give them to other people. But I wondered what would I be doing by giving them to other people to read if it was all leavened. And therefore, dear friends, I wonder, in the course of the week, is this the truth that we narrow ourselves to? You don't need to answer me. 
May the Lord help us that we will choose to narrow ourselves to the word of the kingdom. The rest of that which is leavened is available in plenty. You just need to switch on to a Christian television or visit the same in the internet and you will find an abundance of this. And we must also make that conscious decision to willingly organize our lives in agreement with what God has said. I leave us with these three last passages. Reading 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2 to 4. For I am jealous for you, Paul would write, with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, and that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. I hope we can hear the heart that Paul has when he writes this to the church in Corinth and by extension to you and I this morning. And you know, we have to go back to Genesis chapter number 3 to find out what Paul is alluding to in verse 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, May I submit to us, my brothers and my sisters, that as often as we hear the word of the kingdom, maybe in our private studies or in our corporate setting, the enemy of our faith will come in a very subtle manner and begin to question by saying, Has God indeed said, Has God indeed said that we need to narrow ourselves to the word of the kingdom? And I pray that God will grace us to say yes. That is what God has said. And lastly, in James 1, verse 21 to 25. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. I leave us with a question this morning. Tell me, please. Is there room in your life? Is there room for Christ to lodge? Are there things we need to lose this morning in order for us to profit on that day? Only you can answer that. Shall we pray? Our gracious Father and our God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. And we bless you, Lord, because you don't gather us in vain. You gather us, dear Lord, because 
it is your desire, dear Father, to bring this instruction our way, that we may continue to hear what your Spirit is saying. And Lord, we thank you that you have time and again reminded us that, Lord, we are to be ready and to be prepared. That, Heavenly Father, we may choose, dear Lord, to align our lives with that which you are saying. And we know that we are living in the last days of this dispensation. And the church of today is largely Laodicean. But gracious Father, we thank you that you are so merciful to us, opening our understanding to the word of the kingdom. And we thank you, God, for providing this truth to us. Yet we know that, Lord, there is so much opposition to the word of the kingdom. Loving Father, I pray for each one of us this morning that as we begin this new week, the Lord, we shall go back like the Bereans, dear Lord, did and study these scriptures to confirm that these things are so. And that, Father, even as you confront things in our lives that may not be sitting properly, maybe, Lord, by way of teaching, the Lord, we still embrace, the Lord, you will grace us to let go, to let go, dear Lord, and to lose every other biblical teaching that, Lord, we may have been socialized in that is contrary to the word of the kingdom. And dear Father, even as we may be deemed to be weird in the spaces that we are in, we pray that you will grace us to hold fast the confession that we have made steadfast to the very end with only one persuasion and desire, Lord, that we will hear those words on that day. Well done, good and faithful servant. We thank you and we bless you because we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.